said update. It's really more of when I had emailed all the missionaries, I asked them to share stories about evangelism and reaching people for the gospel. So I guess that's a more accurate description than an update of specifically what they're doing. But appreciate that and um, yeah, the work that his, him and his family are doing over there. And they, they deeply love Japan and have a desire to share the gospel and make Jesus known in that country. Uh, so I'll pray for them in a minute. Matthew chapter 9 is where we'll be. I want to wish everybody a early happy Thanksgiving, and for people who are traveling, hope for safe travels and a good time. Um, I was also thinking, you know, when you have a baby, all these firsts, first steps, first word. This week, Robbie made his first purchase. He spent $20 on uh, Amazon playing with the remote to uh, buy us a... He rented the movie Ticket to Paradise starring George Clooney and Julia Roberts. So, Matthew chapter 9. Um, I'm taking a break from Galatians. The plan next week is to start the Advent series. John mentioned that in the announcements. And sometimes when we're kind of between things, I like to take a break from whatever I'm preaching from. And so I love this passage in Matthew chapter 9. And really, it's a perfect place to sort of interrupt the series because it's a passage that deals with Jesus himself being interrupted. And uh, again, the plan is to start in some passages in Genesis next week and Lord willing to resume in Galatians in January. I definitely have loved going through that book and uh, excited to be here though in, in the Gospel of Matthew. So beginning in verse 18 says, while he was saying these things to them, Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went throughout all the district. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and Lord, we come to you in a heart of thanksgiving, Lord, for the many blessings you have bestowed upon us. Lord, and the greatest blessing of all is everlasting life through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that we know that, that we know the salvation that is found in Christ, and that we can live new life as your people in light of the gospel. Lord, we pray for our time as we study in your word today. We want to lift up Eileen Bauer and the surgery she's having on Tuesday. Lord, we want to pray for a good surgery, for a speedy recovery. Lord, we want to pray for the Smith family, Smith family who we just saw this update from. Pray for Scott and his wife Stephanie and for their kids as they are still adjusting to Japan and serving in Japan. And just we pray for fruitful ministry for them. Lord, we pray for all of our missionaries, especially at the holidays, as many of them are away from family. And so we just pray for them in this time, and uh, Lord, we continue to, to praise you for the men and women and the families who we've partnered with, who are your hands and feet across the globe, who are serving your purposes and spreading your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So on the one hand, this passage is pretty straightforward. The climax of the story is Jesus raising a young girl from the dead. In all four Gospels, Jesus raises at least one person from the dead. In the Gospel of John, he raises Lazarus. He raises a young man from the dead in Luke chapter 7. And a young girl here in Matthew 9. And this same story is also told in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. In this passage, a man approaches Jesus saying that his daughter has just died. And while Jesus is on his way to her, he's interrupted by a woman who's been hemorrhaging blood. He heals her, finishes the travels, and then raises the young girl from the dead. Again, that's the short version, and in one way, it's pretty straightforward and pretty simple, but it's also really just the tip of the iceberg, and I'm going to borrow that metaphor this morning. I don't know if you know this or not, but on icebergs, roughly 90% of the surface area is actually below the waterline. As big as they can appear, there's so much more that's under the surface. And again, I think that's a helpful metaphor for today's passage, because just from reading it, there's so much else that we can see in this story, that it's a wonderful passage in God's Word, but when we look below the surface, we see that there's even more than meets the eye, more than what we thought. Because with stories like this, they can be so straightforward that I think it can be really easy to read it in your Bible and think, oh, that's nice, and just keep on reading without really thinking a whole lot about what's going on. At least for me, it's easy to do that. But it's my hope as we go below the surface of this passage, we can have an even greater appreciation for what's going on in this story. And ideally, that it would point us to a deeper love and appreciation for Christ and for the gospel. And we'll look at this passage in three scenes today. First scene, Jairus comes to Jesus, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Matthew doesn't name the man, but from Mark and Luke's Gospels, we know that his name was Jairus, and that he was a synagogue ruler. So he was a prominent figure in the Jewish community, someone who was respected and revered. And he approaches Jesus and tells them that his daughter has just died. Jairus asks Jesus to come and put his hand on her so she may live. In Matthew's account, he makes no mention of any discussion between Jesus and Jairus. Verse 19 simply says that Jesus arose and began to follow him along with his disciples. So he's off to intervene on behalf of Jairus. Until, and with that we quickly come to the second scene, the interruption, verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. In all three of the Gospels that mention this event, the woman's name is never given. We're told that she had a discharge of blood. In other words, between her regular menstrual cycles, this woman was having some sort of hemorrhage. And as the passage tells us, it had lasted for 12 years. There are numerous things that can cause this condition. Hormone imbalances, infections, uterine fibrosis, various forms of cancer. Whatever it was, considering it had lasted for 12 years, it probably wasn't something life-threatening, but that doesn't mean that the significance of her health issue should be diminished. Because in this culture, 
in this time, this woman's issue would have had devastating consequences. I'm going to take just a moment and give some Old Testament background for this situation. Mark and Luke's accounts of this story tell us that she had tried different interventions with different doctors and that she basically had spent all that she had in trying to stop the bleeding, but nothing had worked. Now, based on Leviticus chapter 15, the woman would have been considered ceremonially unclean. There's this major emphasis in the book of Leviticus on clean versus unclean, and that dealt with somebody's preparation for worship. Everyone would have been unclean at certain times in life. Again, unclean does not necessarily mean sinful. The aforementioned Leviticus 15 deals with various bodily discharges of both men and women. Some of them are really common, things like intercourse and menstrual cycles. Others were less prevalent, such as this woman in this chapter having these hemorrhages. But these various discharges made a person ceremonially unclean for a time period ranging from a day to a week, depending on the situation. An added benefit of the laws is that people who were going through various bodily discharges could have put other people at risk of contracting diseases. And in a culture that didn't know what we know about germs and the transmission of disease, that was beneficial. Although it should be understood that that was not the purpose of the laws of clean and unclean. If it were, it makes no sense that those laws no longer needed to be followed after the time of Christ. Because even after Jesus died and rose in the first century, they still didn't really know how disease spreads and about germs. The desire for being clean isn't primarily concerned with tidiness or hygiene. It's concerned with pointing to the holiness of God, that God is set apart, he is righteous, he is holy, and that there is a cleansing to be done before approaching him as sinful people. The physical purification was meant to point to the true purity of heart that God desires from us. We don't just casually approach a holy God in any way. He is to be approached with reverence. And as I've already said, being unclean for these things was not a matter of sin in itself. And so we return to the woman in Matthew 9. She had suffered from this discharge for 12 years which means she had been considered unclean for 12 years. And as I've said, that would have had major repercussions. If an unclean person touched someone else, the person you touched became unclean. You couldn't sit where somebody unclean had sat or you would be unclean. So you would have to ritually wash. You would have to wait for a period of time before you were considered clean again. But the fact that this woman was consistently having this discharge of blood would have meant that she was constantly unclean. And I think it's important to have this background for this woman's situation because when we begin to understand that, we realize that what she was going through was no small thing. It was an issue that would have been ruining her life. And in her desperation, she comes to Jesus. She would not have been allowed to attend public worship because she was unclean. She would have essentially been isolated and an outcast. It's very possible that she never married. If she had been, given her status as being unclean, 
it would have been in violation of the Old Testament to consummate the marriage. If she hadn't been able to consummate the marriage and therefore provide an heir, in this time that was grounds for divorce. Without a husband or offspring, life would have been extremely difficult for a Jewish woman. She would have had basically no support and no opportunities to support herself. It was not the modern world. She couldn't have just gotten a job or gone to school. It would have been a very precarious situation in a patriarchal society. And I go into all of this detail because I think it's easy for us just to read these couple of verses and to think, yeah, that'd be tough, but not really to think about how absolutely disruptive it would have been to her life and the catastrophic ramifications she would have endured. As she approached Jesus, she's discreet. Verse 20 says that she came up behind him. It's because she likely felt she couldn't make herself known. And the passage tells us she touched the friends of, fringe of Jesus' garment. Again, looking at verse 20, 20 into 21. A woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Now, what does it mean when she says the fringe of his garment? I used to read this story and think that that meant she thought she could touch any part of his outfit and that would suffice. But again, there's more below the surface. In the Old Testament law, men wore these special tassels on their clothing. If you can see the things hanging down on this man's garment, those are the tassels I'm referring to. In Hebrew, they're called fitzit. They're string tassels worn on clothing. Orthodox Jews today still wear them. And the purpose of the tassels is to be a constant reminder of God's commands, and so they have symbolic meaning. You know, sometimes if you're trying to remember something, you'll tie a piece of string around your finger or put a rubber band around your wrist or set a special alarm on your phone or tell your spouse to tell you to remember something. Um, that's kind of what these tassels were, as a reminder of God's law. And so when the woman touches the fringe of Jesus' garment, the tassels are almost certainly what she's referring to, and most likely the thing that she touches. Now, what she did is definitely a little bit superstitious, thinking that just touching clothing would have some sort of power to it in itself. But Jesus is gracious, verse 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. So Jesus is on his way to do a miracle, and he's interrupted by a woman in her time of need and does another miracle. He heals her. There's a lesson in that. If you look at the girl who's deceased and the woman who has a discharge of blood, those two crises are not created equally. The dead girl is obviously a bigger deal, but Jesus is not too busy to be interrupted for something that is also important. We come to our third scene, Jesus raises a girl from the dead. We see the situation described, verse 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, I think I've said this before, actually when we talked about Lazarus in John 11. Uh, in this time period, it was customary that when a person died, you would actually hire professional mourners for the funeral. 
I have a whole line item in my will for when I die. I want thousands of dollars spent on people just hired to be really sad. Um, but uh, The funeral would have been done very, very shortly after she died. Uh, this was before embalming was not done in this time and place, and bodies decay quickly after death, and so this is very shortly after this girl has expired. But during all of the antics of this very public funeral, Jesus interjects in verse 24, Go away, for this girl is not dead, but sleeping. But they're at a funeral. Funerals are for people who are dead. And so these people, to them, what they're hearing is absurd. And the text tells us, and they laughed at him. But the crowd is sent away nonetheless, verse 25. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. The text tells us nothing of what she said or how Jairus, her father, even responded. Mark and Luke both elaborate a little bit more, but in Matthew's gospel, the story just kind of ends. Verse 26. And the report of this went through all that district. Now, to this point in Matthew's gospel... Jesus has been growing in reputation throughout the region. And not surprisingly, him raising a girl from the dead would catch people's attention. And so that's the story. And I think it's easy to look at this passage and to simply think it's a story about Jesus raising from someone from the dead. And it is that, but it's not just about that. Because it's one story where there are two miracles. And I think if we miss the point if we just make this about the second one we miss the richness of the passage because you have two situations that could hardly be more different we have a man who goes to jesus and a woman who goes to jesus women were treated as second-class citizens in this culture but jesus is interacting with women throughout the gospels one of the people who approached jesus was in a position of authority the other was on the fringes of society. One was respected. The other was an outcast. One was a man of some means. The other would have almost definitely been poor. One was a person who would have been clean according to the law of the Old Testament. The other was someone perpetually unclean. One comes to Jesus and shows reverence for him. Mark and Luke's accounts both tell us that Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus. The other person sneaks up behind him. But what do they have in common? What's the connection? The two stories are together in this passage for a reason. One thing they have in common, and it's something we've talked about quite a bit already, that when you look at this story in light of the Old Testament laws of clean and unclean, Jesus comes into contact with two women who are both unclean. By the way, maybe it should go without saying, being dead also makes you unclean. The first one touches Jesus. The second one, the passage tells us, Jesus took by the hand. And those two facts are important to the story because so much of your life in Judaism revolved around the law, being clean, following commands. It wasn't a casual thing how we so often make church today. It was an all-encompassing way of life. And as I said earlier, touching someone who was unclean made you unclean. 
And if you were unclean, as we've said, that impacted your ability to gather with God's people and to worship and to participate in religious activities as well as other social interactions. Touching someone who was ritually unclean made you unclean, and Jesus touched both of these women. He did it because he is pointing to a greater cleanliness. He's replacing the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, with something better. And in this passage, we get a picture of that. He's replacing the law of the Old Testament. The ceremonial laws were meant to point us to the holiness of God. And with Jesus on earth, we have a holy God in the world. He comes into contact with these two women who were unclean. He didn't have to. Jesus does other miracles in the Gospels where he doesn't actually touch a person. John 4, a man comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his son who's sick. Jesus doesn't even go to the boy. He just tells the father, your son will live, and heals him from a distance. In John 5, a person who's paralyzed comes to Jesus. Jesus just commands him, get up, take your bed and walk. Doesn't touch him. And yet, that's not what Jesus does with these women in this passage who were unclean. Why didn't he just read the first woman's mind and know that she was going to come towards him and heal her from a distance? Why not just raise the girl from the dead? He didn't touch them because he needed to touch them to heal them. It's that he chose to. In this passage, we see faith. The faith of the woman who had been having these discharges. The faith of a father whose daughter had just died. It is faith that he has. It is faith that these people have that causes them to turn to Jesus, to know that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the hope. And so Jesus comes into contact with people in their time of need. He brings restoration. He gives life. Because when Jesus comes into your life, even though you're a sinner, even though you don't deserve his grace, that we are unclean, we are not holy, we cannot be holy, we can never truly purify ourselves, purify our hearts. We can never cleanse ourselves by good deeds, by church involvement, by any sort of rules. We can never purify ourselves enough to enter the presence of a holy God. But even though we are unclean, that when Jesus touches us, when the gospel touches our hearts, we become clean. Observant Jews hated the thought of being unclean. Jesus, coming into contact with the unclean, didn't make him unclean. It made the unclean clean. And really, that's the main idea of today's passage. Jesus coming into contact with the unclean didn't make the unclean... Jesus coming into contact with the unclean didn't make him unclean. It made the unclean clean. Way harder to say than cpcbc.org. <laughs> and when you trust in that by faith, even though you yourself are not clean, that you yourself are not ready to enter the presence of God to make yourself clean, Jesus makes you clean because he is that awesomely holy. And he'll do that for anyone who comes to him in faith. He'll make you clean because he is clean. He'll make you worthy to be in the presence of God. By his Holy Spirit, he will make your heart clean. Because of his death and resurrection, he'll make your soul clean. And he will do that for anyone who comes to him by faith. 
Jesus makes the unclean clean. Trust in him. Place your faith in him. That we do not live up to the standards of a perfect God. Our world likes to water down the gospel, play games with the gospel. That if God is loving, it doesn't even matter what you believe. You can't be clean if you don't want to be. Jesus cleanses those who trust him by faith. He makes the unclean clean. He forgives you of your sins. He washes them away. But you have to have faith in him. Because you can't be made clean if you don't know you're dirty. He does these two miracles for these two women. And those are wonderful works of grace in their lives. They should point us to the healing power of Christ. They should point us to the glory and power of God. That when things look bleak and hopeless, we have a God in whom we can hope. Jesus gives life to the dead. But maybe it's tempting to get cynical that he's doing these miracles left and right for these people. But people need help today. For this young girl and for this woman who had been hemorrhaging blood, and for everyone else Jesus ever healed, all of them still eventually died because it's a fallen world. They did get to experience this wonderful work of Christ, and maybe they lived another 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or however many years, but they still died. But in doing these miracles, Jesus is displaying his power, which is the basis for our hope. Even though the gospel makes us right with God, it doesn't insulate us from the fact that the world has fallen. But Jesus has promised eternal life to all who trust in him. Each of the Gospels has stories of Jesus raising people from the dead. That points us to his own death and resurrection. And that should point us to our own hope because of the Gospel. That Jesus is powerful over all things. He has the power over people's health, power over nature, even the power over life and death itself. We should read this story knowing that this is a real event that really happened in human history, that this little girl was really dead, that this isn't some fable or made-up story. It's worthless to us if that's the case, but that it's a real event in time in history, that he raised this girl from the dead, that that's the power that he has, that that's the dominion he has over life, that that's the promise he makes to all who trust in him. And because this girl literally died and was raised, and because Jesus literally died and rose and promises to cleanse us of our sins, all who trust in him and in his gospel should live each day in the confidence and knowledge that we have an eternal future in the presence of a holy God who makes the unclean clean, that we have an eternal presence, an eternal hope in the presence of God who gives life to the dead. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your holy word that points us to the gospel. And Lord, may we live by that and know that. Lord, may we rejoice that there is forgiveness, that we are sinful. As much as we try, Lord, we are still sinful and imperfect, but there is grace. And let us praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.